1: we are recording.
2: Hey, everybody. Good to see you all here today. It's Thursday, and here we are again. Once again, recording our podcast. Yeah, good week. Today, we're going to be talking about a really interesting topic, and one that I think a lot of people will be very intrigued by, and that's the notion of coyotes making their way to the east end of Long Island. Before we launch into that, I'm going to introduce who we all are. Um, So at the controls, we have Bill Sutton. Hi, Bill.
1: Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group.
2: And we have Brendan O'Reilly. Hey, Brendan, how are you doing?
3: Doing well. I'm Brendan O'Reilly. I am the features editor.
2: And also joining us today is Brian Boyan. Hey, Brian.
4: Hey, Annette. How are you? I'm Brian Boyan. I am the former editor and publisher of the SAG Harbor Express.
2: And my name is Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also joining us today is Mike Botini. And Mike is a naturalist here on the east end of Long Island. Not a naturist, naturalist. (laughs) Uh, maybe he's a naturist I'm not sure (laughs) naturalist is what he's here for today
1: that's a whole different (laughs) podcast
2: (laughs) yeah and um and Mike you're also a member of the um the SeaTac Environmental Association and I think that's probably where you do a lot of your work with coyotes and um and Brian did a a very large story for the arts and living section this week with Mike where he talked extensively about the coyotes that have Um, that are now making their way to the East End. And at this point, it sounds like we know of maybe just one for sure that's been out here, and it's been cited since 2013. So Brian, do you want to jump in and sort of explain the background of the the, the one coyote that we know of on the east end?
4: Sure. There's actually, if I understood my conversation with Mike earlier correctly, it appears that there's at least two and and possibly three. Uh, And I'll, I'll let Mike explain that. The way I see it, there had been this one coyote that since 2013 has been kind of roaming the South Fork, mostly between Southampton. And say like the eastern part, just outside the village and over by the airport, it had been seen, uh, I know, at a couple of local golf courses, the bridge and over at Atlantic uh, Golf Club, and mostly anecdotal, a couple of photographs. But uh, just last year, a photograph was taken by a hunter and the area was identified, I think, just east of the canal or east of the canal in Southampton town that showed two coyotes. And uh, one of the questions I, I have for Mike, and I probably should have asked it earlier on, is, is there any evidence that the photograph of the two coyotes, could one of them have been the same coyote that we've been seeing since 2013? Or do we believe that these are two new coyotes?
5: Okay, so um, that's a good question. And it, I uh appears that the coyote that was here in 2013 was spotted in a number of different places between, um, and these are photographs we have because there's a lot of mis-ID with people who, you know, get a fleeting glance of an animal. And, um, and I, I've often gotten pictures that are clearly red fox, which some, some red fox individuals have a lot of gray in them. And if you don't get a good look at it, you could think you were looking at a coyote. Um, so the, the one that was here since 2013, it has been photographed in a number of spots between Wayne Scott and um, Edge of Woods Road, Majors Path area, just north of Southampton Village. And even down South of the highway, um, on the edge of Southampton Village, in that farmland area, um, by like uh, Flying Point Road, kind of is one of the main roads in there. So it's it's roamed around quite a bit. I mean, for coyote, that's not a that's that's not a a, a huge area to roam around. But um, we have photographs over the last you know, seven or eight years of coyote, one coyote in all those different areas. And the second, the the more recent photograph we have that you're referring to, Brian, with two coyotes in one image was taken in the western part of that area that I just described.
3: So can I ask, uh, being that there's this idea that the same coyote has been photographed over and over again since 2013, how does somebody tell that it's the same coyote and not several coyotes and that the first one didn't maybe die and get replaced or that there's multiple?
5: Um, that's a good question because a lot of the, um, a lot of the photographs we get are from trail cams and they are set to go off at night and the night images, it's very difficult to tell the, the pattern on the fur and whatnot. So yeah, we really can't say that for sure. And it's been it's just been the one coyote since 2013.
2: Would the farm fields sort of be the spot that they would really like to hunt and things like that? Is that the most likely place that you would be able to spot a coyote out here? Do you think?
5: Well, there's a difference between where you're most likely to spot a coyote and where the coyote actually is. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they're easier to spot in the farm fields. Uh, Dell Cullum who as a real good eye for wildlife. You know, he's he's got that interesting mix of backgrounds as a professional photographer and a wildlife rehabilitator. Um, so, you know, he just he just saw this thing when he was driving in Wainscot through some of the farmlands around, around yeah, in the Wainscot area, north of the highway. And uh, it was quite a distance away, but he, he just knew it was a coyote and he, grabbed his camera, which he always has in the seat next to him and, and got a few shots off with a telephoto lens. Um, but uh, they, don't, they don't always uh, you know, go out in the farm fields. Uh, I mean, they, they're the term we use, the ecological term we use for coyotes in general is they're, they're very plastic in terms of their um, habits and behavior. And, and what's kind of a weird term to, for an ecologist to use because plastic has such a bad connotation these days, but it, what it means is it's, it's very moldable. Um, so it's not rigid in its uh, requirements in terms of habitat, and prey and behavior even. And um, it can be found in a woodland environment and it could be found in an open field environment. And it could be found in the ecotone between the two. And it actually has been doing really well uh, so surviving in, in urban areas, just with very small green spaces that we, we don't even consider them green spaces like cemeteries, which is not a lot of people around. They can hang out there during the day. And then at night, they come out and roam around and people don't even know they're there.
2: Yeah, I saw that great documentary that Nature did, uh, the PBS special about the coyotes of Chicago.
5: Yeah, that's a good example, right. One of the animals they're preying on heavily like, in in that Chicago area, they're using a lot of golf courses in the Chicago area, too. What are their handicaps? <laughs> the, the interesting thing is they're going after the Canada geese, and the Canada geese and the golf course managers, yeah, they don't have the greatest rapport, so... Yeah. So they're actually, you know, that's a good. That's a case where uh, the coyote is like uh, a good guy oh. in, on the scene.
2: That was my guess <laughs> that they would go after those geese, and that nobody would be crying foul. <laughs> <to
4: balance. laughs> those and the feral cats. I was going to uh, say if we could just talk about how uh, how they got here. We talked about Chicago, but it seems that in this migration, they're pretty much at the end of the road here. You know, you can't get much further, you've only got another 20 miles before you hit the ocean. So they've, their migration, this exodus is just about complete. Uh, but how did they get here? How did this migration start? And how did they wind up moving across the country and populating all
5: of these cities? Yeah, that's a really fascinating um, story that took a long time for wildlife biologists to piece together. And um, one of the keys to unlocking the the storyline is the advances that have been made in uh, genetic analysis. So DNA work, being able to get the actual fingerprint of an individual coyote, and then also break it down. You know, the Eastern coyote um, for many years is a mystery Exactly what is this animal? It's much larger than the Western coyote. How, how big are they? The Eastern coyotes the size of, of a German shepherd, basically. They can go up to 40, 45 pounds in weight. The Western ones, you know, they, they go up to um, about 25, 30 pounds. That's a big one. And I'm familiar with those because I did my graduate work in Banff National Park on elk, but... They were always coyotes around. And yeah, they were a kind of a medium-sized dog, but these Eastern coyotes are a lot bigger. Now in, in, in under my undergraduate work was at St. Lawrence University in the 70s. And um, my ecology professor who actually grew up in Rockville Center, Long Island, um, he was studying this new animal that was spreading all around the Northeast. It was very well established by the early seventies here. And they were calling it the coy dog. It, they, you know, it resembled a big coyote. And the assumption was that it had interbred with a domestic dog. Now they didn't have the way they didn't have the lab analyses worked out to figure out exactly what the genetic makeup was of this, "Quote unquote coyote," but when they did get that together, uh, what they found was 60 to 65 percent of the eastern coyote is western coyote DNA, and then the next largest group of DNAs from the uh, wolf, and a very small percentage from domestic dog.
2: So you think that they maybe originated like up in the Canadian region, then and came south? Is that is that right? Like these might have been a species that really came into its own north of the, the US border?
5: Yes, in terms of New York, um, the pattern seems to be that the Western Coyote expanded its range from the uh, easternmost of its distribution, which was the edge of the Great Plains. And the story is that the, you know, the, we extir- extirpated the wolf from a lot of different areas with bounties the wolf, the mountain lion, the bobcat. Uh, these were all animals that were in the east That, where the bobcat is still around, but the mountain lion and the wolf have been um, removed from the area. So that opened up this ecological niche, we call it, uh, or, or a, a space for another animal to come in. And the Western coyote took advantage of that. As it moved eastward to take advantage of the loss of wolves and mountain lions, and also a change in the landscape where all these huge forest tracks got cleared and turned into agricultural land. That's the kind of the habitat that the Western coyote really preferred. They figure that when it went around the Great Lakes and into Southern Canada, it interbred with The wolves that were there, a very small remnant population of wolves that was just hanging on. And in that situation, it might have been difficult for them to find mates. And they just happened to mate with these smaller uh, Western coyotes and their offspring. So their offspring was sort of this hybrid. And that's a really interesting dilemma for wildlife biologists because the definition of a species that's not supposed to happen. And now the debate is, uh, well, one of the debates is, um, is this a different species now? Should we, should we call the Eastern coyote a different species and not you give it the same scientific name as the Western coyote? And that, that hasn't really been resolved yet.
3: I wanted to ask Mike about the, the thought of hybrids and species. My understanding is that the difference between species is that, okay, a dog, a domestic dog and a wolf is the same species because they could interbreed and they could have offspring that can then breed again. But with a hybrid, two hybrids can't breed together. Um, a, a hybrid wolf coyote might be able to breed with a wolf but not be able to breed with a purebred coyote, but the two hybrids couldn't breed together once I hear that an Eastern coyote is part dog, part wolf, part coyote, well, is it viable for that hybrid to keep breeding or does it have to um, only breed with certain other canines in order to uh, keep the population going?
5: Yeah, so that's, that's an interesting question. Now, first of all, to go back to where you started out though, the domestic dog and the wolf and the coyote they're all different species so they're they're all canids as is the fox but they're not the same species so even the domestic dog breeding with the coyote that's not supposed to happen as well so that's our little you know black and white thing to explain speciation but then when you think about evolution it's got to happen at some point otherwise we wouldn't have all these different species so it's one of these very rare events uh, in ecology that's really been a, a quite an interesting story to unravel. And, and as Brendan's pointing out, there's still still some interesting questions. The eastern coyote at this point, it's a fairly young new animal on the landscape in terms of you know all these other species we're talking about. Is it going to remain that way? Is it going to just keep breeding within that do animal, you know, with that relatively stable proportion of genetic material from these three different species.
1: There's only a couple out here, but are there larger, larger groups in other places? Yeah, Long Island is
5: the last major landmass that doesn't have eastern coyotes on the eastern seaboard. So they're, they're all over Maine, they're all over the Canadian Maritimes. And
4: uh, Once a year, is that uh, when uh, the uh, mother will um, deliver pups? Is it just once a year?
5: It's, a one, it's once a year. Right now, January, the pairs are bonding and they'll be mating by um, early February and the pups will be born sometime, two months after the mating. And so that'll be in, in uh, sometime in March
2: it tend to be more um, solitary than like say a wolf would.
5: In the literature, there's some documentation that uh, depending on the landscape and the, and the prey species that are available, it reflects that plastic behavior that I was describing before. So it, it, it can act kind of like a wolf pack and work cooperatively and take down large ungulates like deer. But it seems like, for the most part, it's uh, just a family group traveling together until the young are a year old, and then they disperse and find their own areas to set up a territory. The main species that they're eating in a lot of places are things like the size of uh, cottontail rabbit snowshoe hare.
4: How many cubs would a um, mother coyote have in a typical year?
5: Again, it's a very plastic breeding behavior. <laughs> so, the first recorded breeding that we know of on Long Island was in Queens about three years ago in a little woodlot near LaGuardia Airport. There's really no competition for this pair of coyotes. In terms of coyotes, they have a huge area. They don't even really have to set up a territory because there's nothing around. There's no other coyotes around. They had eight pups. The, the problem there was that uh, the, the coyotes and their young were very close to an employee parking lot and the LaGuardia employees got in a bad habit of feeding the coyotes. And the Coyotes lost their kind of their fear of people. They they were gravitating towards the people walking around and going to work, even people that maybe weren't interested in giving them a handout. And so the call was made that they were going to be a problem and it was a safety issue. So they were removed, they were killed.
4: How have other urban areas, you, you mentioned Chicago, and of course they're in the Bronx, how have they managed the coyote population, or or, or are they managing the coyote population?
5: Like with a lot of species, actually, um, you know, when you start feeding wildlife, with, with the exception of songbirds and putting out your bird feeder, you put food out for animals, you're going to create problems in general, because, um, You know, lots of examples of that, but, you know, one of them, believe it or not, is the wild turkey out here. I've gotten calls from people that are claiming that they can't use their deck. And as I'm talking to them on the phone, they're describing 30 full-grown turkeys on their deck, which happens to be covered with an inch or two of turkey scat and uh, they if they walk out their sliding glass door onto the deck they're going to be like you know um, harassed by the wild turkeys so my first question to this person was well when did you start feeding them and there was this pregnant pause and the answer was well there were only three and they were really small
3: what do you feed wild turkeys
2: and then they get really aggressive, right?
3: Yes. Yes. Exactly.
5: Like, where's the handout, you know? and
2: The handout problem.
1: Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com.
2: You know, I know that there's a theory that that the coyote or coyotes that we're seeing out here on the East End could have either come from the Bronx or possibly from Connecticut via Fisher's Island. So I wondered if you wanted to talk about those two different theories about where this coyote could have come from and which one would you put your money on if you were a betting man? Okay.
5: So, um, one of the things that we're doing in the long Island coyote study group right now is we have a a bunch of different teams that are trained to go out and collect scat at the different locations where we have coyotes and we have a team actually led by Carol Giles, who's a science teacher on Fisher's Island. And, um, They're, they're collecting scat. Everything goes to the American Museum of Natural History and they do the genetic analysis. And they're also looking at the um, prey. So the diet and how that changes over the course of the year. But we'll, we'll be able to get a fingerprint on all these animals on Fishers and on Long Island. Basically they've constructed over the last decade, They did all this for the Bronx coyotes. So in, in the Bronx, there have been four breeding pairs for a number of years now. So they actually have a family tree and they can tell are they more closely related to the Bronx ones, which is most likely. We thought we would look at Fisher's Island because the coyotes did a two mile swim to get to Fisher's Island. And any pups that are born on Fisher's Island it's only four square miles. They're probably going to have to hit the road. (laughs) In which case, there's not a lot of road they're going to have to end up going in the water to disperse. So it's not out of the range of possibility that one might have made it over via that archipelago, Great Gull Island, uh, Plum Island, and uh, Orient Point.
2: So they are breeding over on Fishers Island then? Yes.
5: They, they've been on Fishers Island now for over a decade, uh, probably about 12 years now.
4: Uh, any evidence
5: of them being on Plum Island? No. Um, well, we have evidence of beaver that made it over to Plum Island. And beaver have also been on Fishers Island, but there's no real good habitat. There's no running water on Fishers Island. So they've only... Stayed there a few days and then gotten off the island, um, and and the same same thing with Plum Island. And we also have evidence of otters stopping at at uh, Plum Island. So
2: your bet would be that the Bronx is a more likely or or a point for our coyote out here.
5: Yeah, it's a breeding pair that's really like right up against the water, and it's it's a, it's, a, it's a it's a short swim uh, if they are. Sketchy about getting on uh, the Neck Bridge.
2: <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I mean, that's what I would think. Would, would a coyote ever dare try to cross one of those bridges in the middle of the night when it's quiet? I don't know. Interesting.
4: Yeah, I don't know if this,
5: it's the Neck Bridge or the Whitestone. Is that ever quiet? I guess. I guess
4: so. <laughs> so they they swim but they're not great swimmers but they could make it no they're you know
5: um, all dogs are pretty decent swimmers um yeah they could they're,
1: they're pretty good what compels them to get in the water and swim it, it, it amazes me that they would swim two miles and you know i, I just find that remarkable yeah
5: there's, there's a lot of instances of remarkable movements by um by wildlife and 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 you know, one of the amazing things that just just totally amazes me is when the yearling otters disperse on Long Island. Now, this is a place where no otters have been for a couple hundred years. And uh, they're finding places like Lake Ronkonkoma. There's no outlet. There's no stream to follow. <laughs> I can't believe it. There's actually... Um, uh, um, uh, a female uh, bred and had young right next in a, in a, in a little marsh area near Lake, Lake Ronconcoma about three years ago. And I'm looking at the Google Earth map and I'm just like, how did she ever find this place?
2: So in, in terms of the coyotes in Nassau, there's not too many of those documented either. It's not like um, it's not like there's hundreds of coyotes wandering around in Nassau just waiting to come East, right there's only a couple that you know of there as well right
5: right so there's uh as far as we know there's only two pairs that have set up territories um we do have other uh photographs of uh single coyotes and um they seem to you know if a coyote doesn't have a mate and there's no other coyotes in the general area there's really no need for them to mark out a territory and it, it that makes it tricky to pin down where they are and collect the scat <laughs> because scat is part of their territorial marking and that's been the problem for me with the south fork coyote um it's really been just roaming around and not marking a specific territory as far as i could tell
2: so i know that, you, that scat was found on the north fork do we think that that would be the same coyote that has been photographed on the South Fork?
5: No, that seems to be another coyote because we do have photographs of that coyote from a couple places. There's possibility that there's two coyotes on the North Fork. Uh, there's photographs from Mattituck. We also have some very coyote looking tracks and scat over in the uh, eastern part of South Hold as well.
4: Interesting, Well. Wow. Any evidence of coyotes? Uh, I mean, so we have them on the East End and in Nassau County, but not a lot uh, of evidence uh, in between. Is that correct? Is there like Brookhaven? You know, uh...
5: right. Is there's, is there's, uh, we 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 had some uh, photographs. I think it was a security camera at Robert Moses State Park last winter. Um, there was a coyote down there, and. Um, we, we did some surveying around there. We couldn't find any, any evidence of it there. So it, it might've been passing through. Um, and, you know, who knows? That could be the coyote that made it out to the South Fork and has joined up with this other coyote that's been here since 2013. One of the, another thing about coyotes that's interesting is when they disperse from their natal den area, 100 miles is not unusual that's the whole length of long island pretty much you know so yeah and and when you think about some of the highway corridors and some of the railroad corridors you know they can they can cruise along those corridors and be pretty undetected
2: so have there been any efforts to maybe radio collar them or is that not a realistic idea to maybe try to get a tracker on some of these guys and gals and see where they're where they're headed.
5: Right, yeah, so we, we talked about that recently with the guys from uh, uh, the uh, Gotham Coyote Project. It's, they've been at this for, you know, uh, 10 years now. And they, they thought that was an interesting idea to see how they d- disperse through this, uh, the Long Island landscape. And um, that's something that uh, we'll be looking into, you know, for 2021. That'd be cool.
3: Yes, it would be. Uh, Mike, another thing I was curious about was the relationship between coyote and deer. I understand that an individual coyote couldn't take down a full-size deer based on Brian's article, but it could take down a young deer. Uh, based on the comments that I've seen since 2013, whenever uh, a photo or an article about an East End coyote gets posted on Facebook or wherever else it is people comment that the coyotes are going to wipe out the deer and that the hunters uh, possibly want to kill that coyote before it kills all the deer. And I get the impression that a coyote or even a handful of coyote uh, would not make much of a difference for the deer population on the South Fork because we do have so many deer.
5: Yeah, that's correct. There were a lot of us excited about having the coyote here and regulating the, the deer population, which has really done some damage to the forest understory out here. Uh, and the, and, the, and the, the most dramatic uh, view of that can be had at Moshomik Preserve on Shelter Island where they built a five acre deer exclusion, and the vegetation inside the exclusion and outside the exclosure is, is completely different. Uh, in species composition and the structure of the of the forest itself, um, but so this has been a real surprise to me. Um, there was a lot of work done up at the in the in the um, northern part of New York. Their initial study was looking at the diet of coyotes, and 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 to answer some of those questions you had about the concern that the deer, deer hunters had. And lo and behold, they found that um, especially the winter and spring diet was the majority of the scats they examined were composed of deer. They decided to uh, do a radio telemetry study. And you gotta remember up there, they get serious snowfalls. The deer don't get around in the snow very well. They have small sharp hooved feet. And if there's a crust, forget it, they break through Whereas a lot of times the coyotes, when there's a little crust, they could run right along the surface. And deer have a tendency to yard up. So they, they gather together in big groups under mature conifers. It's called a deer yard. And they create these pads that they can move around um, where they, by packing down the, the snow. And also a lot of the snow is intercepted by the conifers. So it's kind of a safe place for them to hang out. Well, if a a coyote gets in there (laughs) and chases the deer out of the yard and into the deep snow, you would think that could take it down pretty easily. But in fact, what they found when they did the radio telemetry study was that the, um, the winter deer feeding or the winter feeding on deer was, they were all road kills. And then in the spring, again, a lot of carcasses from roadkills, but they weren't also able to take down fawns. So they were predating on the fawns, but it wasn't significant enough to impact the, um, the deer population. Fawns have a habit of, yeah, I'm sure some of you have seen this, Where they, if you come across a fawn and you get really close to it and it runs away, it it, it'll run like thirty feet and then lay down in the grass and uh, assume that you can't see it. It's kind of funny in a way, but they're not good escape artists at first. Um. (laughs) And there's
4: a lot of food out here. Otherwise, other than deer, I mean, there's a lot more easy pickings, I would think, out here for coyotes. You know, between geese and turkeys and rodents and cats you know that uh it's a lot easier to tackle one of those than it would be for a deer sure they're going to go for
5: what's ever easiest to them in terms of their energy budget and in in terms of like geese and turkey really what they're going for is they're really going for the young they'll predate on the nest um they'll eat the eggs as well but yeah, they, they probably wouldn't tangle with a, a full-grown Canada goose or a full-grown wild turkey.
2: What's the relationship between foxes and coyotes? Do they tend to um, go after the same prey or do they can they live happily
5: alongside one another without a lot of conflict? That seems to depend a lot on the amount of prey available. Mm. So when you have areas that with prey is a limiting factor, the coyote is going to uh, push the foxes out of the area. Yeah, But uh, I think on Long Island, as Brian was saying, we're missing a lot of key predators, like the bobcat that was here up until uh, the middle of the 1800s. You know, there's this big open niche of uh, the coyote to fill, and there's probably plenty of stuff for both the red fox the gray fox as well, which is very rare in Long Island now, and the uh, coyote. So
2: just make sure you keep your little dogs inside would be my advice.
5: Right, yeah. So there's going to be some changes in our behaviors. You know, I have a small flock of hens here, which they're safe from the raccoon because the raccoon's only out at night and they're in their blocked up penthouse. But, you know, I might have to reconsider my pen structure and make some modifications and if
1: somebody comes face to face with a with a coyote and we talked about that in the article what do you
5: yeah so the dec has some good you know simple guidelines and you want to keep that fear of humans in in your resident coyotes so you uh you know you're going to throw something at them yell at them you know raise your hands and you know do that kind of a thing
2: and don't feed them, whatever you do. Yeah, that's
5: that's the big no-no, the feeding. And then, you know, also if you're, you know, just keep an eye on your your garbage and make sure it's secure. But we, I think most people already do that because we have the raccoons, which are very adept at opening garbage cans.
2: <laughs> so how often would you say you hear of sightings of our resident South Fork coyote? Is it, you know, a few times a year or every couple years that that someone calls with a pretty legit report of citing this yeah
5: so it's it's it seems like the golf course managers and their staff are like really they're a really good source of information because again it's like an open field you know they they do see them regularly now they haven't seen the um, the South Fork coyote, which they would see on a regular basis. You know, I mean, they were they were making it sound like a couple times a month, mm-hmm. early in the morning. You know, they got to get out there and get the the, the, uh, the golf course all set up for the tee offs, and uh, so they were out there at the crack of dawn. But they were telling me that as of like winter of last year, no sightings of the coyote. All last winter, all last spring, all last summer. Just, just before that is when that other coyote showed up. So um, they may have decided to hunker down in one particular area, get to know it well, and not do so so much roaming around and, you know, key in on a den site. And uh, but we so we don't really know where they are right now.
4: Is there a way that you can tell if one of them is a female? Uh, I mean, just by the photograph or the size of them or their build?
5: The males are a little bigger than the females in general. Yeah. So if you can get a good shot of them side by side, you might be able to tell.
2: So you can't go out there and beat the bushes looking for these coyotes. You just kind of have to wait.
5: I've been chipping away at surveying. I'm working my way west. I'm, I'm going to hit the um, uh, the edge woods area. Uh, this weekend, probably, and see what I can find. What does
4: coyote scat look like if we should come across some?
5: Um... Uh, you wouldn't, you, it, it's very distinctive. And oh, the other thing, too, is they, because they're marking an area, they will, they'll actually sometimes get up on like a flat rock. They really want it to be obvious, Mm-hmm. What we've noticed uh, at the sites that we've been monitoring in Nassau County and, and on Fishers Island as well, they usually will will um, follow along a, a woods road, for example. They won't necessarily go deep into the woods. They'll follow a woods road. If they hear or smell something along the sides, then they'll go off and, and investigate that. But they take the, like, the easiest way to get around their, their territory. The most scat is where two woods roads or wide paths intersect. And then right in the middle of the road. So you, like, you can't miss it. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a, depending on the time of the year it can be a lot of seeds and berry husks. Um, so, uh, because they are omnivores. And that seems to be more late summer, early fall. Uh, Most of the scats that I was finding this summer and even on the fall on uh, Fisher's Island had a lot of hair in them. So it's a lot of fur and they're, they're usually significantly larger than fox, but there is an overlap in size they're hard to miss you know you you you'd be walking along
2: and go whoa <laughs> so now you know what to do when you're hiking in the woods brian what to look for well I, that's why i was asking i want to keep my eye out <laughs> and if you do brian let mike know right
5: right i will oh i will maybe the first I'll call. yeah it's yeah you'll, you, you'll notice it you'll notice
2: it. are people nervous about the idea of coyotes arriving on the east end are, like are people freaking out a little bit
5: there will be some of that you know because it's a new area it's a new thing for us to deal with in the big picture you know people in places like long island have been coexisting with the coyotes for like 50 years yeah and you know there's not a lot of problems one interesting thing though i was asking the gotham coyote colleagues of mine what were the worst situations you had in the bronx you must have had some bad interactions with people and coyotes and i'm like no and you think about it, who lets their cat out in the Bronx, mm. right? Now, if you have a cat that you really like, <laughs> it's not leaving the apartment, you know, it's it's going to be in the house. And, um, you know, you walk your dog, it's on a leash. we will have to be some adjustments made with how you deal with your small dogs and your cats out here. Great. Other than that. Shouldn't be any real problems, but I'm sure we're going to be getting some people getting really concerned about having coyotes as neighbors The, you know, we're trying to think of, okay, who are they going to call? <laughs> we want to help them out. Whoever's going to take the heat. And we just put a, put a letter together that was sending to, um, county executives, county officials, Nassau and Suffolk County, and then the uh, the officials who run the towns and villages, and also the police departments. Just, just to give them a heads up, how do you need to respond to people who are very concerned about having coyotes in their neighborhood? And, and there's a simple list that the DEC put together. And we'll be doing, um, you know, a lot of uh, Zoom meetings and educational stuff. I have a Zoom meeting on Saturday with the Southwark Natural History Society. So
2: what time are you doing that presentation?
5: It's, I think it's 1030 in the morning.
2: And anybody can go to their website and um, and sign up, right?
5: Right. Sofoam.org. And then we we have a, uh, ctuck.org has a, a whole section of the website dedicated to coyotes and but a number of articles that have been written and uh, photographs you can look through and then how to coexist with the coyote um, a lot of good stuff on there
2: and it's interesting the coyote has never been on the east End before so this is actually a new new species for that part of the world yeah all for all of
5: Long Island a new animal yep and then uh, so it joins uh, a list of Formidable other newcomers to Long Island, like the bald eagle, which is relatively new uh, on Long Island, and the river otter, which has really only been successfully breeding here after a long absence um, since around the mid-90s. And
4: vultures. we haven't, We never had vultures here until about 10 years ago.
5: We have breeding turkey vultures and ravens. Pretty exciting, actually. Oh, and then you can't, how could you forget the Menhaden, the comeback of the Menhaden.
2: I was going to say that's what brought it all back, right? That right. brought
5: a lot of, well, so it, it uh, as, as a longtime ocean lifeguard, I never saw a whale before. I st- stared at the water a long time, <laughs> back going back in the 70s never saw a whale people see whales every day here in the summer now it's phenomenal now the whales are not the population hasn't increased it's just that all this bunker has uh made a comeback here bunker were were decimated back in the mid-60s all the fisheries on long island shut down by 1965 so it's been a long time coming and uh but what a show! Uh, it's just just amazing.
4: So, is, is Manhattan the, uh, the 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 keystone species here? Is it the thing that's uh, that's driving the uh, ospreys, the eagles, um, uh, all the other things that are whales that are suddenly reappearing?
5: Right. It's it's attracting the whales and the dolphins in very close to shore, which is fun, and. Um, it, it has uh, so the osprey and the eagle making this slow comeback but the presence of the bunker here in huge numbers during the nesting season has assured that the productivity is is just maxed out uh, the osprey are all producing too young the eagles are all fledging too young and the eagles uh, I'm not a hundred percent sure about the osprey, but the eagles will return to their when they're ready to breed. They'll return to the general vicinity of their natal nest, and so uh, expect to see more of them.
2: Excellent. Well, that's very good news. So, what should we be looking for when we're out in the woods, other than scat? <laughs> you, Mike. Well,
5: um, I guess you could also. Uh, it's very tricky to distinguish coyote tracks. Uh, if we get a little snow, it might be fun to, you know, take a walk on, you know, in a a favorite hiking area where, um, you know, you have a wide path like the Long Pond Greenbelt. You know, the old railroad spur and some of the old woods roads in there, and you know, take some photographs. And you know, the foxes and the uh, coyotes have a very neat track they lay out um, kind of looks like a pogo stick went through and the toe pads and the nails are all really tight together they're not splayed out so much like a a domestic dog
4: and uh also so uh the distinguishing mark of a um of a coyote versus a german shepherd uh largely the size, I guess the size, coloration and the tail is also probably the most distinguishing factor. Is that correct?
5: Yeah. If you could get a good look at the tail, that's the key thing. So the, the, the colors are all across the chart, you know, they're, they're, you're going to find everything you find basically as, as you would find in dogs. Um, there's the, there's been, uh, one in Nassau County and one on Fisher's Island that are completely that kind of, a a blonde color that um, labs are. You see some some labs, yeah. The tail, so that a bushy tail, and it hangs down. Most domestic dog breeds, the tail curls up and this just hangs straight down. And it has a black tip, no matter what color it is, there's a noticeable black tip to the tail.
2: Well, that's pretty distinctive and helpful, so. All right, we're gonna go out and look
5: all right good
2: <laughs> we'll let you know yeah <laughs> well thank you so much mike for joining us this is really fun and a little bit different than the political scene that we've been <laughs> although there'll be politics around coyotes too trust me It will
4: be i'm sure oh yeah absolutely
2: <laughs> all right everyone go out and bay at the moon please <laughs>
1: all right thanks a lot thank you mike 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com
0: Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude, Flute Music, is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and the sackharborexpress.com Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.